Welcome to Storytelling with a Purpose, a Memory Fox production. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Today, it's just me, Carly Euler, coming at you with another solo episode. So it's March. So spring and summer is rapidly approaching. I'm located in Rochester, New York. So as you can probably imagine, I'm really looking forward to seeing some sunshine again. Um, but spring and summer also means that your nonprofit is most likely gearing up for its outdoor fundraising events and activities. So some of those might include maybe you do a 5K race, maybe you do a marathon, a walkathon, some sort of fitness challenge like you do, uh, you know, work out this many days in a row or reach this fitness goal. Maybe it's do this many push-ups or something like that and you get lots of fun people that want to participate in that. And really, I bring this up because most of these events involve peer-to-peer fundraising, which is my favorite type of fundraising. So just quickly, just in case that we have any listeners who are unfamiliar with that term, peer-to-peer fundraising is when an individual Usually someone who is who like really believes in your mission, maybe probably a donor of some sort, maybe a staff member, a board member, um, or maybe just someone that you actually served at your organization before. Um, so it's when an individual decides that they will become a fundraiser for you. So they're going to actually ask your friends and family to support them by supporting your organization. So get it. That's the peer to peer of it. And honestly, people have been doing this forever. Organizations have been doing this for a really long time. It's still wildly successful because it's really all about trust. Um, as we all know, we all ask our friends and family their opinions on things. Maybe you, you probably have people that you go to to ask for relationship advice or advice on a big purchase or even a small purchase. Or maybe just like a method of a way to do something. And we do this because we trust their opinions. So peer-to-peer fundraising really takes that concept and makes it about your nonprofit's mission or about the specific event. So great. So you might be asking now, uh, hey, Carly, why is peer-to-peer fundraising your favorite type of fundraising? I am so glad you asked. I have a story to share with you. So sports have always been like a huge part of my life. I have been very fortunate to be able to play lacrosse in college. And then I went on to become an assistant lacrosse coach. At that time, it really felt like the right direction for me. I had learned so much from incredible, passionate coaches in my life. Just want to give a quick shout out to Jen Williams. Nancy Vecchio, Ashley Pike, and Jody Canfield, just to name a few of them. Those are, they're all rock star coaches. But yeah, I had learned so much about dedication, strength, um, you know, internal strength, teamwork, leadership, tons of stuff that sports just teach you, especially when you have great coaches. And I just figured, well, maybe I could do that for people. Because to me, coaches don't just win games. I mean, don't get me wrong. Winning is like really fun, like really, really fun. But really great coaches actually build great people because they inspire them to do the hard work and to learn commitment. 
Anyway, so picture this. I'm at my first year of coaching. And as you might know, a lot of preseason when you are coaching is about conditioning. You need to get your team in shape. They probably have just come back from some sort of break. Uh, They probably didn't follow that fitness plan you made for them. So you have to get them into conditioning right off the bat. And me, just like every other coach, was looking for a really interesting spin on conditioning. And that's when I remembered that I'd heard of this campaign before called Yards for Yardly. I am actually not sure if this organization still does this campaign, but Yards for Yardly was a campaign that was run by the One Love Foundation. And what they did was they challenged athletic teams all types of athletic teams to walk, run, bike, really do anything that they do. I remember seeing swim teams do it. So swim as well. Whatever their type of fitness is, they would challenge them to do as many yards as possible in a 30-day time period. And the underlying themes here were that they were to raise money for the One Love Foundation and also awareness about the prevalence of relationship violence. So the backstory here, the the One Love Foundation began um, in memory of Yardley Love. She was a collegiate lacrosse player at the University of Virginia. And in May of 2010, just about three weeks before she was set to graduate, Yardley was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. So this is someone who claimed to love her, of course. It's a really gut-wrenching story. And it really hits close to home. I mean, this is something that you just don't think could ever happen to you. And yet here's this girl. She's my age. She's so similar to me. A much better lacrosse player, I should say, but very similar in other ways. And And also just very similar to these, my players, these people that I now am trying my best to be a good mentor to. It's very hard when you can see a victim that can look like you. To me, the Yards for Yardley campaign was a really great way for our team to start an important conversation about relationship violence, especially in young relationships. It helped us build trust amongst each other as a team, a lot of camaraderie. And it also is a great reminder that the world is bigger than lacrosse or any sport for that matter. You're going to be thinking about lacrosse a lot while you're in the season or your sport while you're in season. But, um, you know, wins and losses are not as big as, as the world. And I was really proud of my team. They took the campaign really seriously. They worked their butts off before, during and after practice to compete and uh, with each other to do more yards. They did so many yards. And you know what? We raised a few grand while we were doing it. And I'm just really proud of that. Needless to say, after we did this, and I at the time didn't even realize that this was considered peer-to-peer fundraising, um, I was sold. The rest is history. I mean, well, not not really, but uh, I'll save my other stories for other episodes. But since then, I've gone on to run numerous peer-to-peer campaigns, a lot of really large ones, a lot of really small ones. Uh, for several different organizations. And time and time again, I have found that the key to success is empowering your fundraisers by providing resources, knowledge, 
and really just being a constant cheerleader for them while they're on their fundraising journeys. A lot of people are scared to become fundraisers. That's why everybody doesn't do it for a living. But a lot of people really want to be fundraisers. So you really just have to be that cheerleader for them. So today I'm going to share with you uh, one way that I really find super duper helpful when it comes to empowering your fundraisers. And that is providing them with a social media toolkit. So your toolkit is going to have pre-made graphics, pre-written captions, and all these types of instructions and things that people can easily drag and drop into into their busy lives because people are busy. So provide them with the resources, right? So I wrote a whole blog post about this. You can find it on our website, memoryfox.io. I'll put it in the show notes. But on this pod today, I just really want to share with you five tips when it comes to creating a social media toolkit for your peer-to-peer fundraisers that actually work. Okay, my first tip. You need to encourage personalization, but you also need to provide a universal template. Okay, let me explain. Storytelling is the single most powerful way to connect a person to your mission and inspire them to give. We know this. It's actually like our whole thing here at Memory Fox, right? The same exact premise goes for peer-to-peer fundraising. Peer-to-peer fundraising is the most successful when individuals share their own stories. And more often than not, the individual fundraiser has a great story to tell because they have a specific personal reason that they chose to fundraise for you. A lot of times you hear about people who will fundraise because, uh, you know, for like an illness, for example, like for a cure. And that is because they have a personal connection to that illness. You see that all the time. So really, my, my tip here is please remind those people that sharing their own story is key. They will raise more money. That is a proven fact if they use their own story. But the second part of my tip, even so, even if you tell people this, you will always get people that want to fundraise for you. They'll create and share their fundraising pages on your peer-to-peer platform that you use without adding any updates. So they'll put no personalization on it. This always happens. So my advice to you as the nonprofit fundraiser is just make sure that they don't look silly if they do this. And by that, I mean, when you're creating that peer-to-peer campaign where you're asking people to sign up and do the personalization, you have the ability to write the story portion and put in that um, image that's going to be in their profile section if they don't change it. So just don't let them get caught with things like brackets that say, add your name here. Or, a, or have that profile photo just be gray and blank. Put in your event logo or put in something fun into that photo in case they don't want to change it. And make sure that you write that story, that will that pre-populated story, to have a story that sounds like it could be personal, even though it is generic. So you want to use I statements and you want to use you statements. You want to say things like, at the end of it, you want to say, sincerely, me. Because you don't know who that person's going to be. You don't know their name, of course. But you also don't want to write, sincerely, enter your name here. On the off chance that they have decided not to take a moment to personalize. So that's number one. 
encourage personalization. As we know, that's number one. That's super duper key, but you always want to provide a universal template. My second tip is list very specific instructions. And I say very in all caps and bold, very, very. Here's the thing, while you might spend hours a day on social media, if you are a nonprofit fundraiser or communications or marketing manager, you most likely do spend a, at least an hour of your day on social media. But that does not mean that these people who are going to fundraise for you do. So when it comes to social media knowledge, you need to assume that they know nothing. I mean, nothing. Assume they know nothing. To curb the potential for confusion and frustration on their end, just make sure you write really specific instructions that your fundraisers can follow. So in that social media toolkit, you need to have all of those instructions listed out very specifically. Here is an example. One that always comes to mind for me, and I know I talk about this a lot, is hyperlinking and Instagram. As you probably know, when you put a website link into an Instagram caption, it does not become clickable. So unlike Facebook, you can put a link in there, you can click on it all day. On Instagram, you cannot. So that means unless your fundraisers know that about Instagram, which they might not, they might be putting their fundraising link into their Instagram caption and absolutely nobody can click on it. And that just means that you're asking your potential donors, the peers of your peer-to-peers, to copy and paste, which I think is impossible from an Instagram caption, or you're asking them to what? Type out the link specifically? No, 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 no. They're not going to do that. They're not going to give that way. So for this example, you need to make sure that's clear to your fundraisers and you need to tell them to explicitly add their fundraising, their unique fundraising link to their bio of their Instagram, if that's a channel they're planning to use. Tip number three is to create several graphics for them to choose from. People love options, okay? This isn't groundbreaking, I know. People love to have options. I recommend you give your fundraisers at least three pre-made graphics for each social media channel. I know this means it's a little bit more upfront work, but you're going to be happy that you did it up front because people are going to want some options. Maybe you just, and it can be something as simple as just changing the color background to being a different one of your logo colors, but you want to give people their own options. And when I say for each social media channel, I do recognize that some of the channels do have crossover in terms of sizing. So Facebook and LinkedIn, for example, you can use the same square graphics. Those work perfectly fine. However, when it comes to Twitter, for example, a horizontal rectangle always fits better on a tweet. And for Instagram stories and reels, you really want to prioritize a vertical rectangle for people to use. And if you make those for them, they're going to look better, which means if, if you make them ahead of time, of course, they're going to look better than if you're individual fundraiser has to try to resize it themselves. And therefore, it's going to um, be better brand awareness, more consistency for you. And it's really going to ultimately just drive more donations. So 
So like I said, just change up the colors, maybe change the wording a little bit so people have a choice. Okay, my fourth tip for you is in that social media toolkit, you also should provide some helpful hints and you also need to send reminders. So by that, I mean a helpful hint, for example. So this is in relation to the instructions that I mentioned in step two, but this is going to be helpful hints, so additional hints. So a good example of a helpful hint that you would want to add into your social media toolkit is to ask your individual donors to use their own photos. So you see a lot of times people will do peer-to-peer -peer fundraising for a marathon, for example. Well, if they have a photo of them when they were a kid doing an athletic event, um, you should ask them to use that photo when promoting their fundraising link instead of your pre-made graphic. It's just a fact. It's going to perform better. It's going to have more engagement. You're there asking their own friends and family. So there's going to be a lot of nostalgia involved. They're going to love it. Maybe they're going to be more motivated to fundraise when they see your nostalgic photo. Another helpful hint that maybe we don't think about because we're in this every day is that you need to explicitly remind your fundraisers to thank the people who donated to them. They can do that in several ways. They could go as far as to write handwritten notes, or they could just do something as simple as tagging them in the comments, maybe on a Facebook post after they've donated, and just saying, hey, thanks so much for, your, for giving. Not only is that just good stewardship, we know the rules of stewardship, that that's always a good one. But it's also going to bring more engagement to their social media posts in general. So it's just honestly just good practice. Another great helpful hint to provide is empowering your don't or your fundraisers, excuse me, to maybe post a short video asking for the donations instead of just the graphic. So this might not be something you can provide ahead of time, of course, because again, they're going to need to tell their own story for this to work. But you could provide them with an example of a script that they could say and, and give them some ideas of how best to shoot their video. So again, maybe if you're training for a marathon, then maybe you could ask them to, hey, next time you finish a run, take a little video after you've done. Talk, tell, your, tell your friends and family how your run went. Tell them how you're feeling about your training and ask them to give. So really, when it comes to these helpful hints, it's really important that you put these into your social media toolkit, but also that you also email one hint per week to your fundraisers. So you send them an email, remind them of the great work you did putting together your social media toolkit, put one hint in that email, direct them back to the toolkit congratulate some people who are in the lead of your fundraising so far, maybe your top fundraiser, maybe your fundraiser who has brought in the most new donors, something fun like that. And really that is just going to be a big help for them because people are super, super busy and they mean well, but they will appreciate that you have been giving them reminders and little hints. That's gonna keep that cheerleading that I said um, really top of mind for them. And my fifth tip for you, is simply to be available. Here's what I mean. When 
your peer-to-peer fundraisers have questions. You need to be accessible. I, it just, it doesn't matter how detailed the instructions you provide are. There will always be individuals who will need one-on-one assistance. And that is okay. We actually welcome that. So you just make sure that all of those reminders and the initial, anytime that somebody signs up to be a fundraiser, just let them know that they can call or email you with your with their questions at any time. Um, or if you have a physical office, you can even let them know that they can come visit you in person. At my most recent job, I was running a peer-to-peer fundraising campaign. And I had several people that came into my office um, during office hours, of course, and brought their laptops because they were just frustrated. They couldn't quite figure out if they had personalized something, if they had saved something right, if they had shared it to Facebook correctly. Just little things like that that might seem easy peasy to us. Um, We just don't want our peer-to-peer fundraisers to feel confused or frustrated. So I was just always welcome them with open arms. Come on in. Let me show you how it's done. People learn in different ways. So maybe they just needed to see it a different way. And, you know, I think overall that gives them a better experience. It also makes your brand more trustworthy. So with that, those are your five tips to share um, that have to do with creating a social media toolkit that will really empower your peer-to-peer fundraisers. Like I said, we will be talking about peer-to-peer fundraising all March long. So head to our website, check out our posts, definitely listen to the pod for the rest of the month. And um, we're just going to have a lot coming at you. So thank you for listening to Storytelling with a Purpose. This has been a Memory Fox production. You can follow Memory Fox on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. You can also find me on LinkedIn. My name's Carly Euler. Or follow me on TikTok at Carly underscore Memfox. I'm on there talking about nonprofit storytelling, marketing, fundraising. And also you can see my dog. She's on there too. Finally, if you have any topic suggestions, questions, or feedback for Celine or I, please let us know by heading to storytelling.memfox.io backslash pod. I'll put that in the show notes. I would really love to hear about your peer-to-peer fundraising campaigns that you're putting together. Please let me know if you have any questions. I would love to chat about them either on the pod or just by email, whatever makes sense for you. And finally, happy storytelling, everyone.